As we look to skillfully navigate our careers and build our best leadership selves, it's important we seek real insight into the terrain we operate and impact in as women leaders. Well, today we are throwing a real light on some compelling research to help us to that end. Hi, this is Penny DeVolk. Welcome to Grit in the Oyster, a conversation about how we navigate our careers, our organizations, our lives as women leaders. Exploring its challenges, learning from others, sharing best practice. An opportunity to step out of the fray for a bit, to help you tune out some of the noise and tune into being the best leader you can be. It's my real pleasure today to be speaking with Natalia Karalaya. She's an Associate Professor of Decision Sciences at INSEAD, where she teaches decision-making, negotiation, leadership development and change. She's published extensively on decision-making processes, trust, identity conflict, unethical and pro-social behaviour, and behaviour in competitions, and her work has appeared in leading academic journals from Psychological Review to HBR. Natalia's recent research focuses on authenticity, conflicts and influence, gender at work and communication in the context of decision-making. And it's her work on gender roles in leadership, identity threat, and pro-social or communal expectations of women that particularly captured my attention and that we're going to be exploring today. So, Natalia, welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me to this conversation. It's a real pleasure. So we're always interested in the stories of successful women. Tell me your story, your your history, career and life headlines. If I were to choose one word for my story, it would be probably embracing change. Uh, so I moved a lot geographically from one place to the other. I've been working in many countries and... Uh, now even on several continents. And uh, uh, I'm an academic, and uh, my main focus is on the psychology of decision-making and negotiations. Uh, and part of my research concerns, as you already said, uh, gender differences at work. And I became uh, interested in this topic quite early in my academic career. In fact, it was a personal encounter, a conversation with one of the women uh, in the profession, in the academic profession, that uh, triggered my interest uh, in, that, in this topic years ago. It was a senior woman with an accomplished academic career who's been appointed to an administrative role in academia. And um, she was expressing a great concern uh, during one of the academic meetings to other women who, one of them was me, who was listening to her, uh, concern about the need to modify her behavior as a consequence of this appointment. She was wondering whether she would have to wear more gray suits mm -hmm. to kind of to, to, to conform, to, to be similar to other people at those high-level administrative positions who you may guess are mainly men. And that generated, that triggered my interest uh, into gender processes more explicitly, how, how women adapt to new challenges or how they perceive new challenges when they are getting involved more in leadership roles uh, where other people look at them, let's say. Mm. Interesting. So that provoked your interest. And, and certainly your research adds 
real depth to the notion of you know what has become known as the double mind for women leaders that acknowledges leadership is still an, a masculine concept and women can often get pushback for the behavior that they demonstrate if it looks leader-like so the same behaviors in men and women are experienced and judged differently so very often you see in the leadership development canon that what works for men doesn't always work for women um, which can be a real challenge for women. What's your perspective on the double bind? Well, uh, that's a very complex topic, uh, mm. of course. And uh, um, I, uh, uh, I have conducted research on that in which uh, uh, I was interested to investigate uh, who is perceived as more influential within uh, companies. What determines this influence, individual influence, and who is seen as more influential? And I wanted to understand how the appearance of self-confidence translates into influence and whether there are any differences for men and for women, because we already know from a lot of research that more confident people are perceived as more competent and they're more likely to be perceived as leaders as well. Mm. Uh, but I had a sense that that might be different for, when, for, for men and women, given what we know about uh, gender roles and uh, prescriptive gender stereotypes. And so what we did with my co-author, Laura Gillian, in this project, we collected the data from uh, uh, computer engineers. In fact, it's a software development company uh, in which 25% of engineers were women. And we collected the data on uh, perceived self-confidence. That is, whether other people were seeing those men and women are confident in accomplishing their job. Mm. We collected the data on uh, the perceived influence of those people. That is the extent to which uh, uh, these engineers were considered as um, changing uh, group decisions, for example, or having a word that would be appreciated by other people when uh, the decisions were made. Mm -hmm. So those were perceptions, right? The perception of influence and the perceptions of self-confidence. And what we found is... Not surprisingly, that overall there is an effect, right? That most more more self-confident individuals they are seen as influential, and this is true for men without any um, additional condition. However, for women, we found that link was only true when, on top of being a, a great performance, women displayed some social characteristics. And what, what is that? Well, that, for example, being a good organizational citizen, helping others, uh, signaling in any ways that you're concerned about others' uh, well-being, uh, welfare. So basically signaling that this job is not only about me, it's also about helping some other people, being those clients, uh, peers, to achieve something to change their life. And this wasn't the case for the men. They weren't held to that standard. Not at all. Not at all. So for men, the extent to which they were embracing this prosocial motivation orientation, you can call it in different ways, wasn't relevant, determinant of how influential they were seen by others in the company. But for women, it was an obligatory condition, if you wish. Okay. Unless they manifested that, there was no uh, influence as a final uh, output of the self-confidence that women projected in the eyes of others. Hmm. Okay, so this was this how women were displaying their confidence, or was it a perception, or was it a perception of their own self-confidence? Uh, it was a perception of how others saw women and men, hmm. right? And um, 
right there there is much has been said about uh, women probably not being that self-confident as men and that was cited as one of the reasons uh, that prevents women from occupying uh, more typically male uh, professions or occupations or leadership positions, for example, mm. right? But our study goes beyond that a little bit. It's it it it, it focuses on the eyes in on the eyes of the perceiver, right? And mm-hmm. we wanted to see, assuming that an individual or different individuals appear similarly confident in the eyes of others, are they giving enough credit within the organization? So let's assume that women don't have lower self-confidence. Let's assume it's not it's not it's not the issue, right? Would it would it fix the, yes. the, the problem if you wish? Yeah. Right? And so our data suggests that it wouldn't. So the, the, the recipe for women to explain greater confidence in order to success to succeed uh, in professional life is a partial advice. I wouldn't say that it's not a valid advice, right? But it's a very partial advice. Mm. We need to focus as well on um, the norms within the organization and how we reward people and what kind of uh, behaviors are being explicitly or implicitly taken into consideration when we determine who has to be promoted, who is a potential leader and so on and so forth. Really interesting. So, yes, there is an understanding that confidence is correlated with uh, leadership capability and and competence. So what you're saying is for women, they also have this gender role expectation where um, their confidence alone needs to be wrapped in an expectation that they are meeting others' needs as well as their own needs? Absolutely, absolutely. So that's, again, we have the gender stereotypes um, coming into the play here. And um, suggesting that, yes, uh, on top of being uh, great performers and knowing what they uh, do, professionally speaking, women are still kind of expected to display stereotypically feminine characteristics at work, which could be fine. In fact, fact, while I'm saying that, I'm thinking that the organizations that are most successful, they do promote caring for others and cooperative behavior. So it's fine to, to, to have those characteristics as being required, either implicitly or explicitly, but it's not okay when those characteristics are only expected from one part of the yeah. uh, employee body, that is uh, women and not men. Yeah. And so what do you say to women who say who you know understand that and say, but this simply isn't fair? I would agree with them. <laughs> so my first, my first reaction would be, and, uh, and the second reaction would be yes, it is, uh, it is totally unfair, right? And now the question is, uh, what can we do about that? Mm-hmm. What can we do about that? And then um, there, um, there are several possible um, ideas that, that, uh, that, that we can discuss. And the first idea would be the one that I like the least because it will be along the lines, again, of fixing the women, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. not only they have to be confident, but also they should uh, uh, be concerned about... Uh, signaling to others that they are perfect women in a sense, right? Uh, Even in the professional environment, meaning they care about others, they nurture. It's not just about uh, themselves. Yes. So, and that still sounds not very fair to me, right? Um, So, and and, and I'm more the proponent of uh, having a deep conversation within organizations uh, about um, social norms and about the organizational cultures and how 
current social norms and uh, organizational cultures may lead to outcomes that are not only unfair, but also uh, create more dysfunctional organizations, I would yes. say. Mm. And... Uh, that approach I like much more because it's not about individual responsibility of women engaging in this kind of behavior or the other kind of behavior, but it's having a collective responsibility for building organizations that uh, empower everybody within the organization to bring the best out of them yeah. in a professional context, right? And that, of course, implies revising and being uh, uh, aware and conscious about uh, the promotion criteria, mm -hmm. about explicitness of certain requirements that we may have for people within the organization and um, trying to see whether there are some implicit requirements that maybe we want to, to make them common for everybody within the organization. Or maybe not. Mm -hmm. So whatever the decision is, there, 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 ha there has to be a, an open conversation, I would say. Yeah. Uh, that reflects onto organizational change. And, you know, I exactly. think you're right. And we, you know, I certainly am involved with organizations who are doing a lot of work systemically on this. But at the same time, as much as we know how long it takes for organizational redesign and change to shift, meanwhile, we have women who are trying to navigate this either double bind or this paradox of uh, needing to be leader-like but having their behaviours judged differently. Um, what advice would you have for the individual woman? Because you're right, we could just say, well, at least you are aware of, uh, of, of this uh, double standard. Uh, and for many women, that uh, results in this likability confidence trade-off that can be very noisy. It creates a lot of static in their career. Tell me a little bit about... Um, if, if women are held to a higher level of pro-social or communal expectations and behavior than men are, um, what about your understanding of whether women are actually, because of our gender role, held to a higher level of competence than men? Well, um, yes, if we define competence in a more uh, in a more kind of general uh, way, right, where competence is all the necessary skills and behaviors that are perceived as necessary in order to be promoted, in order to be recognized as a potential leader, then yes, we may say that yes, women are held to higher standards because there are more components required, more components of success that have to be um, taking place at the same time for women to be recognized for their achievements. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. So it's interesting that that notion of confidence as well, because it's a, it's a real byline. Everyone says, oh, we just got to work on women's confidence. And yet other data show that by the age of 23, the confidence gap between um, men and women is pretty much gone. And in fact, it's organizational experience that often erodes that confidence in women. Um, and the demonstration of confidence, as your, as your research shows, can look very different when it's being observed. So, you know, the confident, assertive, direct women will often be described as bossy or pushy or sharp-elbowed. Um, what are the what's the data uh, that you know? that identifies how organizations, because I know everyone's doing a lot of unconscious bias training and all the rest, but for this com 
particular sweet spot when it's women stepping into leadership roles that are still quite agentic and need to demonstrate agency and warmth to be able to manage that. What have you seen organizations doing, Natalia, that really accelerate the at least the insight around this issue? It's a very good question. And I think the answer lies, again, in recognizing what do we value? What do we value as an organization? And what kind of leader do we expect to have among us? Mm. And it's just not a conversation around the leadership. It's also the conversation about how we are making decisions, in fact, in our, uh, in our company, in our organization. For example, uh, do we appreciate doubt or do we require people to be precise about their possible solutions or forecasts that they provide? Mm-hmm. Right? And th- those are completely two different things. So if we don't tolerate any doubt, then we basically inspire people to be overconfident and we reduce their motivation to be humble, humble in a way admitting that there are many things that they, that they don't know, Right. So do we expect the leader to know all the solutions or not? Do we expect the leader to to provide the ultimate um, decision? Or do we expect the leader to be more a participative, let's say, facilitator, right? Who integrates the ideas of many people. And while I'm talking about that, I'm thinking that many of the ideas in, uh, in leadership, in, le- in recent leadership research, suggests that the lead, leaders who integrate characteristics that stereotypically, in fact, can be seen as feminine, they tend to be much more successful in modern organizations. Mm. And, you know, I, yeah, I agree. It's sort of interesting. I've, I've observed and I've been interested that over the last two decades, when mm-hmm. the sort of feminization of some leadership models, more mm-hmm. facilitative, more collaborative, you know, feminization is, is probably a, a gender role stereotype in itself. Um, Indeed, that, yes. you know, that, that somehow that would loosen up the, uh, the leadership stereotypes. And, and again, data show that, that you know, a, a man demonstrating, you know, more feminine leadership roles is advantaged, but a woman demonstrating masculine leadership roles is disadvantaged. <laughs> so again, it's expected of a woman, but it's an advantage for a man. That's a good question. So certainly there are there are kind of paradoxical questions for mm. women, right? For those who are listening right now, and for for all other women who face themselves with their dilemma. So mm-hmm. what should I do, right? Should I uh, try to be this um, ideal uh, leader who may still embrace in some organizations the stereotypical male uh, characteristics? But then in this case, I may face the backlash, right? Because people uh, will be missing something in me that they are looking to confirm that, yeah, she's still a woman, right? Mm-hmm. Now, on the other hand side, if I go completely into the direction I don't care about the, 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 the male um, model of leadership and I'll embrace the female models of leadership, so to speak, right? Then I will not be seen as a leader, 
That's right. That's Enough. that's often the trade-off that uh, that certainly in the work I do with women and in organisations that can be very um, disturbing. These dilemmas for women is and, and end up with your asking quite fundamental questions of yourself, like, well, who am I? Where do exactly. I belong? Am can I bring my authentic self to work? Can I operate with integrity? And I'm really interested in the work you've done around identity threat and and how that might help throw some light onto the, these dilemmas for women. Indeed, it is very related. In another piece of work, I uh, collected the data on uh, uh, the perceptions of identity threat by women leaders, or more precisely, identity conflict. And what I was focusing there on is on whether women believed, women in leadership positions already, that uh, being a woman made them less effective as a leader. Yes. Or, or vice versa, the yeah, other way around. Yeah, being a leader made them less attractive as a woman. Exactly. Because mm. I'm a leader, I'm less a woman. I'm not really a woman anymore. And uh, uh, so what I found there in that project is that the more women perceived that there was this contradiction between the two facets of them, the two roles, the role as a woman and the professional, professional role as a leader, the more there was this um, perceived contradiction, the less likely, unsurprisingly, uh, those women were to embrace the leadership opportunities. They, mm. they were less motivated to take on leadership roles. Mm. Or if they were motivated, then they would be motivated just out of the sense of duty, not because it was something intrinsically interesting or pleasant to do, just because I had to. There was this duty motivation, right? And of course, the greater conflict, the greater perceived conflict, the greater stress, no surprise there either, and um, lower life satisfaction, because it, it, it creates an enormous burden on me if I believe that in professional role, I have to be something that I'm not outside of the professional. Mm. Right? And that's a real, yeah, that is a real challenge. And as you say, helps explain the persistence of um, you know women falling out of the uh, the pipeline as they head for leadership and that and the need for us to take a a fairly nuanced and subtle view around around that and not the you know the standard oh well you know women either don't care about their careers or aren't up to it or aren't up for it or you know don't have either the grit mm -hmm. or the resilience to do it because what you're mm -hmm. saying is that um, it's it, the duty motivation does not capture your heart and mind at something you do out of duty. So it would be easy to put that to one side if it's not really something that that thri you thrive on as your purpose. Um, and then just the extra energy that needs mm. to go into, you know, wondering about your identity, who you are, uh, mm. what fits, and then not being able to see this possible self as a leader that could also be. Uh, the sort of woman you want to be as well. Have you observed or have has any of your research highlighted, again, uh, some shifts around this? Because, of course, you know, people being stuck with dilemmas is is awful. And, uh, you know, our role is to help people move beyond that and manage the paradoxes. Mm -hmm. 
but we're also aware that this social conditioning has been millennia in the making. And we've only had one or two generations of women walking into these professional leader-like roles. And so potentially managing that uh, those paradoxes and those dilemmas. How many generations do you think it might take for this, for the intensity of this paradox and dilemma to start to atrophy? <laughs> That's an excellent question. And I feel that I will appear as too self-confident huh? mm. uh, if I provide a very precise answer to this question. Uh, maybe this um, underconfidence is uh, not justified. <laughs> yeah, <that's> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel it would be too foolish of me to make very uh, precise predictions there. Mm. Uh, and yet on a more serious note, I prefer to be an optimist. Mm? Mm. Uh, we don't know how many generations and for sure not one, uh, for sure not two uh, to achieve any kind of uh, equal perception at different parts of the world. Because in some parts of the world, there, there's um, much further to go faster changes in some other parts of the world their changes are slower but what is um, promising i would say and what um, what makes me optimism optimist uh, uh, in this situation is the observation that social norms are already changing yeah and the companies with extreme cultures which could be described as masculinity contacts contest cultures right where people compete against each other where only assertiveness is uh, being appreciated mm. where nobody's supporting each other where doubt is not tolerated those companies with extreme cultures like that they being... are the exception now really aren't they they are the exceptions and they're in the focus of this many discussions yeah. of the social discussions media social media and also Let's not forget about the social movements that became much faster, are getting traction much faster now with social media, like, for example, the Me Too movement. Right? Mm. So mm. all that, I think, accelerates the changes in social norms in the society in, um, in different parts of the globe. So I wouldn't dare to make very precise predictions, but I remain an optimist. optimist. Yeah, but it might not be... Two, but it could be three generations, as you say, in no. terms of uh, how that has accelerated. And and meanwhile, our you know our work it, it will shift when there are more women in leadership, and that becomes a more normal thing. So I guess the real challenge is that we, you know, how do we support and develop women to be their best leadership self while we're at the front end of this wedge for these generations, uh, you know, breaking down uh, some of that social conditioning and uh, managing dilemmas, which can be quite stressful and energy taking. Tell me a little bit more about, because for many of the organizations and women I talk to, the notion of pro-social um, communal behavior. Mm -hmm. Can you just sort of say a little bit more about that, Natalia, about what that looks like? Um, what, you know, what, what might it look like on an average day for a woman leader? What the expectation is, how it plays out? And also we've got to be aware in terms of our own social conditioning that often we behave in ways our autopilots are deeply gendered as well. So I see that often with women who will want to volunteer to, to do things and look after people and minimise themselves. What do you observe around pro-social behaviour? A good question. And in fact, it is related to the previous question to me uh, about the, the the number of generations uh, that uh, we need for uh, a meaningful social change to to take place. 
what in fact I observed already in, uh, in the research that I already mentioned on the identity conflict is that many of those senior women in my sample that participated in that study, they didn't express any concern about any identity conflict. Mm. So they simply didn't see it. Yep. So it's simply it's simply not true that all women experience that, mm-hmm. or that all women are underconfident, or that many women they don't don't take risk. Well, it's simply not true. For example, on risk taking, there are many studies that show that at high level of the companies, if uh, we are talking about CEO, high level manager, the risk attitudes are absolutely the same for women, for men and women. Mm-hmm. And so, in my own study. Many of those senior women, they didn't have any issue with any kind of conflict. There is no, contra- they saw no contradiction mm-hmm. between being a woman and being a leader. Yep. And in fact, what helped them to not see any contradiction is to appreciate their qualities. Maybe even those qualities that we stereotypically call as feminine. So the appreciations of those qualities and seeing how they fit, in fact, and how I can bring them at work yes, so that I can remain who I am, so that I can be authentic at work and yet be effective. That would help them to feel motivated to be a leader for the sake of being it, not because I have to. And this, this is what made the leadership enjoyful for those women, right? Yeah. Now, how would it look like specifically, right? The bringing those feminine um, uh, characteristics and uh, being authentic at work. And here I would say that the the, um, the recipe will, will be highly individual, right? Mm. But mm. if if I well, if I, I just think about myself, right? Feeling that you are somewhere in the catch twenty two, that you need to do something you know, to be effective, yet, yet to remind yourself, how do you resolve it? Well, the recipe will be highly individual, but I think that the common line for, 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 for many people will be to identify what makes, to, what can I do in order to feel yourself that you are doing the right thing for yourself? Mm-hmm. How can you remain authentic and true to your goals, values, and beliefs? Because authenticity, that's another topic that interests me a lot, authenticity is important it's important part of our well-being, if you wish, right? Of of happiness Absolutely. and uh, mm-hmm. uh, spending a lot of hours at work being somebody else, not myself. It's 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 frankly very very uh, challenging yeah. and uh, very psychologically exhausting mm. and cognitively exhausting. Mm. So. My my personal takeaway, given all the literature and the catch twenty two, would be um, to remain true to yourself, and find find strength in uh, whatever you know to do well. Right? If it is um, if it is working with other people, if it is asking the right questions, if it is uh, leading teams in a way that uh, makes the best out of um, team members, then let it be. Mm-hmm. Make that your strengths. Mm. Exactly the strength and 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 um build on this strength right so finding that recipe within yourself and i know that it doesn't sound very easy right it would be much easier to have a kind of a common recipe for everybody but this is the um recipe that makes sense yeah even the the contradictions that we uh, find on multiple fronts yeah uh, women and professional roles and again 
let's not forget that we don't want to put the burden only on women. Mm -hmm. It's the organizations. And this conversation, I think, is already happening. The organizations should engage in those conversations within organizations, but also more public conversations. And they're happening already about who is the best performer? Who is the top performer? Is it the man, the top performer, the competitive assertive, or there are some other role models and uh, models for success that we can have within our context. And in fact, many of the successful companies, they, they embrace um, models or cultures that are completely opposite yeah. of the yeah. masculinity context culture. And in fact, many of the creative companies and the companies that, uh, that produce the greatest disruptions uh, in uh, industries, very often they are characterized by um, collaborative environment, people mm-hmm. not being afraid asking questions or admitting that they don't know something or not afraid of uh, failing. Yeah, and not having to minimize their doubts. Absolutely, mm. absolutely, absolutely. For the sake of manipulating, not manipulating, or maintaining a certain Mm self-image, is believed necessary in order to remain an acceptable citizen in the organization. I agree. And I think what will happen is it will compound and accelerate as women will be attracted to those environments and those environments will have a source of competitive advantage by getting the best talent they can out there. And, uh, you know, I agree the, the these this paradox, these dilemmas, these catch 22s that women live with are not about fixing the women, which often we see in, in business, in, in, in leadership development, mm-hmm. um, which is, well, we just need to teach them to be confident or learn how to negotiate there's some sort of female failing at play mm-hmm. in leadership, mm-hmm. nor is it about, um, you know, just exhorting them to, you know, to, to make the organization change. I think it's a mixture of both, that organizations are shifting in terms of what their model of good leadership looks like, where women will be feeling more comfortable and more authentic. And you're right, the women who I know who don't feel that tension or who get through their leadership career navigating that tension are those who really got to understand on an individual basis who they are, what they're, you know, as a woman, what level of confidence and warmth they have and what kind of leader they want to be and how that blends. So as you say, you talked about the recipe, how that sort of portfolio or that repertoire of skills is a holistic piece that doesn't have as many tensions in it. So it's exciting times, especially when we see um, organisations making that shift and where we've got much better insight into how we can support um, women in navigating that so that they can bring their best selves to work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And let me just add to that that all that applies to men as well because yeah. we are implicitly assuming that men embrace a certain model of leadership or a certain model of the best organization that I would like to work at or I would like to build. Um, but very often... Uh, we believe uh, that other uh, people, other men or other women, support a certain idea, and this is just not true. And we only support a certain idea because we believe the others, that exactly. others support a certain idea, but everybody is doubting that this is the right model. Mm-hmm. So um, questioning those um, dysfunctional organizational norms and models benefits, in fact, both women and men, because there is a great diversity among men as well in terms of leadership styles, in terms of what they value, and in terms of 
what they would like to be at work. Exactly. And I think that will be the most powerful. We certainly know that um, just small things like uh, flexible working, um, you know, it's still probably more career limiting for a man to ask to be, you know, the primary carer for the first two years. It's really disturbing when that happens. And just as men will stand at the school gate feeling like an imposter, you know, we want to, to liberate men from as well, from, you know, buttoned down, locked down um, models of leadership that they don't aspire to. And again, would feel duty bound to pursue as opposed to excited and uh, being able to bring their purpose and their, and their authentic selves to work. So, you know, you're right. What will accelerate it is not just the work that's being done in organisations and for women, but how we can start making those gender stereotypes that we bring to leadership much softer and loosen up. And that would be men being able to step into those as well as women. Absolutely, absolutely. It just will allow for greater diversity of uh, of behaviors and hence um, benefiting from that diversity of different strengths in both men and women. Huge advantage for organizations and deeply liberating for a lot of the men I know too who don't want to be burdened with this notion of what uh, you know masculine leadership needs to look like and who don't feel aligned to it. Absolutely, absolutely. And who don't do not want to appear overconfident. Mm-hmm but feel the urge to do so because of the pressures or perceived pressures, organizational pressures and social pressures. Huge social pressures. And just also our, you know, what, what we've learned to do. So a lot of our autopilots take us there without us really being consciously uh, thinking about how we might uh, behave differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. That's why it is important to, 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 to rethink, right? Not only at the level of the organization, but also... For every individual, what what do we value? What is um, what is my ideal self, right? Mm-hmm. And what is my ideal self, and how can I be more intentional about bringing that to my leadership self? Natalia, it has been such a pleasure speaking with you. You've thrown great insight into what is a complex issue but a really important one. And uh, I just wanted to say what a pleasure it was to speak with you. Thank you for taking the time. And uh, any final advice you might have for the women leaders listening to this who are navigating their careers? Being authentic, remaining authentic, remaining yourself uh, and remaining humble in the sense that we can realize that no one is perfect, right? No one has a perfect knowledge. No one is a perfect leader is probably the key to to feel uh, both satisfied and uh, be uh, effective at work. And this, uh, the advice applies equally to men and women. It's a great finale. Natalia, again, thank you so much for, uh, for your contributions. It's been uh, great to meet you and um, all the very best. Thank you for that advice for women leaders, specifically about be authentic and uh, bring your best self to work and uh, for that to be just as relevant for men as for women. Many thanks. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Penny. Bye. Thanks for listening to Grit in the Oyster. If you're enjoying our conversations, do subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes. And stay in touch. Penny at pennydevolk.com.